it's no wonder that there is a lack of revival because there is a lack of humility. If we start relying on the stuff we can do, that's the point at which God says, I'm looking for somebody else. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, your host for Resonate. Well, today, Pastor Trent identifies one major roadblock to our experiencing revival and takes us to the Word of God for the remedy. Here's Pastor Trent. Second Chronicles is in the Old Testament. It's about right there. So about a third of the way through Second Chronicles. Interesting title of a book. The word Chronicles means history. And so we are opening some Bible history. We are opening to Awakenings 201 you might say, because the book of Chronicles records revival history in the people of God, ancient Israel. And uh, the most famous of all revival verses is found in chapter 7, so make your way there. Last week we began this series, Awakenings, and we said there's a theme verse that we're going to have throughout the course of this series, and I challenged you to memorize it. Has anybody already memorized Habakkuk 3.2? All right, you're a little behind. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, We're going to memorize this verse. So say it with me. And I would just encourage you, maybe as you gather as families before your evening meal, let's memorize this verse. And maybe next week we can come back and quote it. It's a prayer for an awakening. And it goes like this. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. That is a prayer for revival. And it's we're familiar with the stories, the history of revival. God, what you've done in times and places other than today and other than right here, God, we want you to revive it. We want you to do it here, what you've done at other times. And we learn there's a pattern to revival. Biblically and historically, you will find that when the church is on mission in worship with Jesus Christ, we are right where we are supposed to be, experiencing God's blessing and His grace. And yet sometimes we fall into seasons of apathy and decline and immorality and materialism, and we begin to lose the sense of God's favor and blessing, and that invites the judgment and the discipline of God. It doesn't take a whole lot of spider sense to figure out where we're at as a nation, we are experiencing discipline and judgment, and yet that is the opportunity for us to cry up to God in desperation and in need and ask God to send revival in the church and that it would spill over into an awakening in the community. And there's good news. Revival is as possible today as it has ever been. The reason why is God is still on his throne. He's not lost an ounce of his power. He is not trembling, wondering how he's going to deal with ISIS or the national debt. He's right on schedule. He's waiting for us to cry up and ask him to revive his church. Now, the most famous revival verse in all the Bible is found here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. As a matter of fact, if you've been in church, you know this verse. You could probably quote it. It goes like this. It is, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name, say it with me, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. How many of you are familiar with that verse? 
Okay, how many of you feel like, hey, I know that one better than Habakkuk. Can we just stick with that one? And, uh, and as a matter of fact, if I took that one off the screen, I bet many of you could quote it, but I bet even of those of you that could quote it, I'll bet that about 90% of you would leave out the most important part. Have you ever quoted that verse by saying this? If my people, which are called by my name, will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, what did I leave out? Humble themselves. The title of the message today is this, Revival's Forgotten Factor. Because we are so quick to race past the need for humility. And so this is what we're going to do. As I studied this this week, uh, I realized that 2 Chronicles 7.14 actually contains the outline for all of 2 Chronicles. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at an awakening that happened specifically because of a humble king who humbled himself. And then we're going we're to do that today. His name is Rehoboam. We're going to get to that in just a minute. And then we're going to look at a king that an awakening took place because he prayed. And then a third king that an awakening took place because he turned from his wicked ways. And another king that sought God's face. And so we're going to see that it's all throughout the book of 2 Chronicles, revival history here. Now, let me just say as we get into this that there has been a little debate. There's a little theological debate about this verse because um, some people would say, you know, you can't claim that promise for today because after all, that promise was made to ancient Israel a thousand years before Christ ever came, before there was a church. This was a promise made to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. And so you can't claim that verse today and think that if you'll humble yourself and pray and seek his face and somehow that God's obligated to come and, and heal your land. Now, God's not obligated to do anything. But we need to define who are the people that this verse is talking about. Well, there's good news. Because God's people are not just the chosen nation of Israel. We read over in Acts chapter 15, verse 14, this statement. God first visited the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Gentiles is anybody that's not a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay? And he has called these Gentiles to repentance and faith and taken from them a people for his name. Different people. Same name, which means we're now the same people. And so the Bible says that the things that happened in the Old Testament happened for our example, for an example for us. And so we this morning are going to follow this outline and we're going to pray this prayer and believe that if we will humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then God will hear that prayer from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. Anybody with me? Anybody feel like we, we need some of that? All right. So we're going to get into that. We're going to dive into that um, here today. And uh, we're going to talk about humility. Now, I want you to turn just five chapters over. Go over to chapter 12 in Second Chronicles. And we're going to be introduced to a king here. His name is Rehoboam. Let's read in Second Chronicles 12, verse 1. When the rule of Rehoboam was established, underline that word established, and was strong, underline the word strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Come on, Rehoboam. What is your problem? 
I mean, things were going well for Rehoboam. Let's talk about who this guy Rehoboam was, okay? So um, you understand how um, Israel was God's chosen people, and they looked around at the other nations, and they saw that these other nations had something they didn't have. All the other nations had kings. And so Israel started crying out to God and said, God, we want a king. We don't have a king. God, can we have a king? Oh, we want a king. Please give it. And God says, you have a king. It's me. And they said, we want a king like everybody else has a king. And so they started whining and complaining. God says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. We'll see how well that works for you. So he gives them a king. What was his name? Saul. How'd that work out for him? That didn't work out real good, all right? And so uh, the kingdom was stripped away from Saul, and it was given to a man after God's own heart. God raised up a man after God's own heart. His name was King David. King David reigned, and uh, then King David had a son. The kingdom got passed to his son. His name was Solomon. So the fourth king of Israel was Solomon's son. His name was Rehoboam, the guy that we just read about. So Rehoboam's grandfather was King David. Rehoboam's father was Solomon. Now let me help you connect the dots in your Bible a little bit. How many of you have ever found that book in your Bible called Proverbs? You ever read Proverbs? You ever read Proverbs? Proverbs um, is a book that was written primarily by who? Do you know? King Solomon. So King Solomon wrote all these Proverbs, wise sayings and principles for living. And it's one of the most practical books we have in our Bible. And uh, there's a phrase that occurs 23 different times in the book of Proverbs. It's this little two-word phrase, my son. To whom did Solomon write these Proverbs? His son, which was who? Rehoboam. Rehoboam had more access to the principles and the Word of God than anybody. Parts of it were written directly to him. And yet, you know what we just read? When Rehoboam was established and was strong, it was at that point that he forsook, he abandoned the law of God. He quit reading the Proverbs. Now, if you were to read above in the previous chapter there in chapter 11, 10, 11, it tells us about what was going on under Rehoboam's reign. It was working out really good. I mean, the name Rehoboam actually means he expands his people. That's what the word means. And this is exactly what was happening under King Rehoboam's um, reign. The kingdom was becoming strong, and there were cities that were being fortified, and there was uh, an expanse of population that was increasing. And Then something really good happened. It says that Rehoboam met a wife and got married. And any man who marries a wife finds a good thing. (laughs) Fellas, come on. I teed you up. All you had to do was knock it out. Would you like another run at that one? Okay. All right, let's back up a little bit. Okay, so Rehoboam, the, the kingdom was expanding, the cities were being fortified, and then he found a wife. And any man who finds a wife finds a really good thing. That's better. That's better. A little, little slow on the draw there. You need to work that out. Okay, so things are going great. The Bible said he had some kids. I mean, it was it's just everything was being established. He was stronger and more powerful, and, and just wonderful. Maybe he even thought, "I'm going to be a better king than my granddaddy." 
I'm going to be a better king than my daddy. I'll show him how to run a kingdom. And everything was going great until we get to chapter 12. And the Bible says when his kingdom was established and when he became strong, that was the point at which he abandoned the law of God. Here's the first point of the message. The more established you become, the more humility you're going to need. How's it going for you right now? Friday night, I sat at the Joyce Center, the Notre Dame Joyce Center, along with uh, several thousand other proud parents, and I watched my oldest child, my firstborn, Brooke, who was up here a few minutes ago singing. She graduated from Penn High School. Would you guys like to congratulate all of our graduates? Any graduates over there? So uh, the graduates. You know what? There's a point at which you graduate, and that's kind of a point of establishment. You've kind of established some education, and, and you we honor you, worthy of honor, all of that. We want to give you all of that. But you know what? That's the point you're most prone to be pride, proud. I mean, you're 18, 19 years old, and you've got your diploma in hand. And those of us that you know, aren't 18 anymore, we look back at our 18-year-old pictures, and we're like, whoo-wee. I was looking good when I was 18. <laughs> and now it's all downhill from there, right? I mean, and... And that's the point at which you're prone to become proud. For some of you, you've found a wife. You've had some kids. You're living in the best house you've ever lived in. You've got more money in the bank than you've ever had. You're driving the best cars you've ever driven. You're in a nice church, and you're living in the suburbs, and everything's going well for you. Good reports from the doctors. Business is growing. That's the point at which you'll be tempted to become proud and lose your humility. The more established you become, the more humility you are going to need. Let me tell you five things about pride real quick. First of all, pride is the roadblock to revival. Isaiah 66 verse 2, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and in spirit and trembles at my word. That's the opposite of what Rehoboam did. When you think you know it all and don't any longer need God and his word to govern your life, you have become proud. And that is the point at which the roadblock of revival is established in your life. And God will go looking for somebody else to whom he can command his blessing. I've spent my week getting to know pastors and being in, in meetings, and I've been in places in this city that I never would otherwise I would have been in. I've learned things about the, the structure of our city and the, the personality of our city, and I've learned that not everybody that pastors a church is real excited about revival and not excited about uh, sharing the gospel and getting... Um, hooked up with multiracial cross-denominational movements that don't exactly look like us, but we can partner with them because we agree on the gospel. There, there is some arrogance that has become a stronghold in our city. And it's no wonder that there is a lack of revival because there is a lack of humility. And by God's grace, I don't want to be the guy that God can't say, I'm looking at that guy. Get some more of the blessing over to that church. 
Get some more people to that church because that's where I want to look when those people gather to praise me. It all happens when we swell up with pride and think that we've become established. We don't need that. You know what my greatest fear for harvest is? I mean, we're six years old. We got a building. We got some staff. We got lights that move now. That was impressive. That's like, woo, we got lights that move. God's going to show up today. You know, (laughs) really, really? If we start relying on the stuff we can do, that's the point at which God says, I'm looking for somebody else. And by God's grace, this is not going to be the church where that is ever said. And by God's grace, I don't want to be the pastor that God says, I'm done with you. I'm looking for somebody else. This is the one to whom I will look. I will look to he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Here's the second thing about pride. Pride is the root of every other sin. Now, I know there's a sense in which we say sin is sin. We don't have different categories of sin. Sin is sin. But there's also a sense in which pride is more dangerous than any other sin. Look at what it says in Proverbs 26, 2. Who is this written to? Rehoboam. Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. Are you a person that's pretty much finished listening to the counsel of others? Are you a person that pretty much thinks you can figure it out without diving your face in this book and seeking God for his counsel and his wisdom about the choices and decisions and the way that you live your life? You finished with that? You, you think you've got some special revelation or some superior knowledge or superior education? You've got your PhD or your MDiv or your BA or BS or whatever it is, and you somehow think that you don't need the wisdom of God, there's more hope for a fool than for you. Pride's the root of every other sin. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he put it this way, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, greed, drunkenness, And all that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Number three, pride deceives me. God raised up a prophet named Obadiah one day, and he marched up to a king and said this, Your pride, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, that was the suburbs back in the Bible times, okay? (laughs) You who live in the clefts of the rock and in your lofty dwellings, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Don't ever, don't, don't ever say that. Because God is capable of bringing you down to the ground. Pride deceives me. It deceives me into thinking I'm smarter than I am. It deceives me into thinking I'm more godly than I am. It deceives me into thinking that I'm a Christian when I've never been genuinely converted to Christ. 
it will wrap you up in religious knowledge and blind you to your need. Pride deceives me. Number four, pride causes me to live my life independent from God. There was a church that was mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 3. It was the church in Laodicea, famous church. It's an actual church. And this is what Jesus wrote to this church. It was Jesus writing a letter to this church, and he says this, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. I don't need, I don't need anything. I got all I need. And Jesus said to them, You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. How do you like that description? Two different opinions. I am rich, prosperous, and have need of nothing, and yet you are so blind that you do not know that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's how much pride can deceive you. And it causes me to live my life independent of God, thinking I have all I need who needs God. Here's the fifth thing. Pride is displaced by the continual, humble acknowledgement of need. You want to deal with your pride? Say this early and often every day. God, I need you. God, I need you. I don't want to ever get to the place where I don't acknowledge my dependence upon God for every situation and every circumstance in my life. The moment I do is the moment God will be absent from my life. Think you can do it yourself? Fine, go ahead and try that. See how well that works for you. John Flavel's a guy that was a historian and he said this, he said, they that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. You got a pride problem? It's because you do not know how superior and holy and beautiful and perfect God is. You don't know God. You have a pride problem? You do not know how needy and wretched and blind and miserable and vulnerable you are. Cast yourself upon God for any and every circumstance and don't be like Rehoboam, that when things were going well, he abandoned the law of God. Here's the second thing we're going to learn. When humility is abandoned, you invite the resistance of God. Look back here at verse 2. What was happening? What, what, why did Rehoboam lose his mind and lose his humility? Look at verse 2. It says, In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, is that not an awesome name, Shishak? So Shishak the king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem. You understand that Shishak, not a godly dude, all right? So the enemies of God came to attack the people of God. Remember all those fortified cities and how things were going well in Israel? Let's see how that worked out for him. Uh, verse 3, Shishak brought 1,200 chariots, 
60,000 horsemen, and the people were without number who came with him from Egypt, Libyans and Sukim and Ethiopians, and Shak took the fortified cities. Now, I can understand him taking cities, but fortified cities? Yeah, he took them, scaled the walls. And when he scaled the walls, it says in verse 5, then Shemaiah, a prophet, came to Rehoboam. Prior to every great awakening, God raises up a prophet. And here comes the prophet, Shemaiah, the prophet. He came to Rehoboam. Think Rehoboam was glad to see him? Finally, there's a man of God that can tell me what's going on and how to get out of this mess. I am so glad you're here because Shishak is on his way, and I'm sure that God sent you to tell me as the king what we should do to defend ourselves against Shishak. Please, prophet, please tell us what we should do. So the prophet comes to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah who gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and here's what the prophet said to them. Thus says the Lord, you abandoned me. So I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Period. That is all. Have a nice day. Like, what? Prophet, prophet. Um, you did a good job giving us the diagnosis of the problem. We already knew we had a problem. We're listening to you now to tell us the prescription. Could you just take out the prescription pad and write us a prescription, what, whatever we need to do to get out of the mess that we're in, we'll listen. Nothing. Or had the prescription already been given? Do you remember five chapters earlier in this book? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The prescription had already been given. Rehoboam already knew what to do. And let me just ask you this. Does it seem like God has abandoned you? Does it seem like you are far from God? And it's like, God, do you see what's going on down here? Do you, do you see the enemies surrounding me? Did, did you happen to see the medical report I got last week? Did you happen to see the bank balance, God? God, did you see what was going on in my marriage? God, where are you and why don't you come and fix it now? That's the attitude of Rehoboam. And that's an attitude of pride. When you are surrounded by enemies and you feel like you are abandoned by God, the humble response is to not look and shake your fist at God, but to take your finger and point it at your own heart and say, is there anything in me that is causing God to abandon me? It can happen. I've been challenged today by the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 66, verse 2. It says this, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Have you humbly confessed your dependency upon God? If you haven't, it could be that pride is what's keeping you from experiencing personal revival. 
Well, thanks for listening today to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. We'd like to invite you to visit us for one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer for you is that God's Word would resonate in your heart and mind this week. I hope you'll join us next week at this same time. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. HarvestGranger.org.